Well, I invite you to turn with me once again in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm 23. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 581. If you're a guest with us, we've been studying through the book of Psalms this summer, and we've come to probably the most well-known psalm of them all, Psalm 23. And so the challenge for the preacher is to show you or remind you of things maybe you haven't seen before or you've forgotten. And we're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 23, and I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject this morning, life without lack, Psalm 23, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. And this is what the Word of God says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Psalm 23 is probably the most known passage in all of the Old Testament. Throughout the centuries, this psalm has been a source of comfort and encouragement to generations of believers. As one historian said of this towering psalm, it has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their grief, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. The heading of this psalm tells us it is a psalm of David. Many think that David wrote this psalm as an old man approaching the end of his life, looking back over his life and rejoicing in the faithfulness of God and all that God had done for him. Others believe that David wrote it as a youth out on the Judean hills with his father's flock all around him, his harp in his hand and his soul aflame in passion for God. But regardless of your view... As David writes this psalm, you'll notice carefully that he writes not from the perspective of a shepherd. He writes from the perspective of the sheep, emphasizing one of the greatest metaphors in all of God's Word, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And while this psalm is one of the most known and one of the most loved passages of Scripture, It is the least believed. The Lord is my shepherd is a sentiment that is carved on tombstones. It is written on greeting cards. And it is decorated more houses with wall art than you and I can ever fathom. But it's not engraved on our hearts and our souls. Here, in six powerful verses, David expounds the shepherd care of God, emphasizing the fact that if the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. 
For there is not a single need that you and I could possibly have that God does not address in these six verses. Ray Steadman in his book, Psalms, Folk Songs of the Faith, concurs and he writes these words. Psalm 23 comes to us from the depths of a soul that has known fear, terror, betrayal, grief, and depression. It is a psalm of comfort, yet it is also a psalm of real experience and genuine emotion. David writes this song for people like you and people like me. People who are going through the trials of life. He wrote it for those who feel hunted, for those who feel betrayed, and for those who are afraid. He wrote it for those whose most important relationships are crumbling. He wrote it for those who are heartbroken over rebellious children. He wrote it for those who are in the valley of the deepest darkness and shadow of death. And my friends, I submit to you this morning that you love this psalm. But do you believe it? You know this psalm. But do you believe it? You can recite this psalm. But do you believe it? You've shared this psalm with others at a time in their greatest need for them to believe. But do you believe it? No matter what you're facing or how deeply you are facing it, if the Lord is your shepherd, he can meet all of your needs. He can give you a life without lack in which you are completely satisfied and sustained no matter what happens. And in this psalm, David describes the life of a believer under God's shepherding care. He describes a life without lack. And so would you notice with me, first of all, in verse number one, the character of the shepherd. David simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what I want you to understand this morning is that verse number one is the foundation for the rest of the psalm. And from the outset of this psalm, David wants his readers to know that there is only one true God, the Lord. And you'll notice uh, in your Bible, the word Lord is all capital. It's referring to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And it literally means to be. It is the translation of God's personal name, which literally means I am who I am. Am. It is the name by which God revealed himself to his servant Moses at the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 to 14, this is what the Bible records. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh, the great I am. And this name, I am, conveys two things that is at the heart of the meaning of this psalm. 
First of all, it conveys God's self-existence. As I am, God is eternal and God is immutable. He has no beginning and he has no end and he is not defined by anything outside of himself. God exists this morning simply because God exists. He is the I am, the self-existent God. It also conveys God's self-sufficiency. To say I am means that God depends on nothing outside of himself to be God. That God is sustained by himself and that God needs nothing. And these core characteristics express the very nature of who God is. Because Yahweh is self-existent and because Yahweh is self-sufficient, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature never changes because His nature never can change. And as a result of this truth, God is the most consistent and God is the most certain reality in all of our lives. He does not change. And with the first two words of this psalm, David is reminding you and David is reminding me that we can face the imminent, we can face the inevitable, and we can face the inconceivable without worry, without fear, or without distress because of the unchanging character and nature of the Lord. But you'll notice in verse number one that David not only reveals God as the Lord, he also reveals God as shepherd. And a shepherd in the culture of David's day was at the bottom of the social ladder. No one aspired to be a shepherd. And if a family needed a shepherd, the task was usually placed on the youngest in the family as it was with David. And his work among the flock was lonely, it was lowly, it was difficult, and it was endless. And you'll notice in verse number one, it is this humble work with which the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, self-existent, self-sufficient God, the ruler of the universe, chose to identify himself. He chose to identify himself as a shepherd. And throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh revealed himself repeatedly as the shepherd of his people, as the shepherd of the nation of Israel. And when we turn to the New Testament, we see that God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is also described as the shepherd of God's people. And in John chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, this was Jesus' testimony of himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd. And a good shepherd in David's day, to protect his flock, he would lay down at the entrance or the gate of the sheepfold. So that if anyone tried to come in and harm the flock, they would have to go through the shepherd at the gate to get to the flock. And John reminds us in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, not at the gate of the sheepfold, but on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world with his blood. 
But additionally, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is not just the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd who victoriously rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. At the heart of the Christian faith, friend, stands a cross on which the good shepherd died and an empty tomb from which the great shepherd rose again. Jesus Christ died so that you and I can live. He was bound so that you and I could be set free. He suffered innumerable reproaches so that you and I might never be cursed. And he was condemned so that you and I could be loved and accepted. And the great shepherd of the sheep is victoriously alive today. Moreover, Peter reminds us that Jesus is not just the good shepherd and the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd who will triumphantly return for his flock. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And as chief shepherd, Jesus maintains his flock moment by moment as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God the Father, waiting for the day when he will return and take his flock away from the very presence of sin to live with him forever. And if all of these descriptions of the shepherding work of the Lord Jesus Christ were not enough, John gives us one final reminder that Jesus is the royal enthroned shepherd who will shepherd his people to fountains of living water and who will wipe every single tear from their eyes. And in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 17, this is the description that John gives of Jesus. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And do you know what John is reminding us of this morning, friends? That eternity will never be able to exhaust the royal shepherd's work and blessings on our lives. Now, would you notice in verse 1, We're going to take all of this theology that I just poured out on you like a fire hydrant and make it personal. Notice what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say he was. He didn't say he will be. He didn't say he hopes to be. He said he is my shepherd. It is present tense language. David is in a present tense relationship with Yahweh the Lord who is his shepherd. And what was true for David is true for you and me friends. Yahweh is the God of the present tense. Yahweh is the God of now. 
That means that no matter what's going on in your life this morning, no matter what circumstances are circling around you as you've gathered in this place to worship God this morning, God is present with you. He is the God of present tense. And as our shepherd, he is our daily provider and he is the source of provision for our every single need. He is our shepherd. But you'll notice also, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Of all the psalms that David penned, I think this one is the most personal. And here in verse number one, do you see what David is doing? He is laying personal claim and closeness to Yahweh, to the Lord. And everything else that he says in the next five verses will flow from verse number one in his relationship with this present tense personal God. And I want to remind you this morning, it is one thing to know and say that God is good. It is another thing to know and say that God is great. But it is quite another thing altogether to know and say that God is yours. And so I ask you this morning, is he your Shepherd, I'm not asking you if you think he's Pastor Darren's shepherd. I'm not asking you if you think it's your spouse's shepherd. I'm not asking you if you think he is your children's shepherd. I'm asking you this morning, out of all the people in the room, the Holy Spirit is laser locked on you, looking right at you and saying, is he your shepherd? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. If you can give the testimony that David is giving in verse 1. Spurgeon knew it. Spurgeon knew the importance of this truth. And this is what he wrote. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. He preserves me. The Lord is my shepherd. And look at your Bible. Look at verse number 1. Because the Lord is David's shepherd. David could boldly declare, I shall not want. David is saying that he has everything he truly needs. That he doesn't want another shepherd. He doesn't want another provider. He has life without lack and he is content with the good care of his shepherd. Sam Storms is helpful on this point, and this is what he said. David isn't being insensitive to the pressing demands of life, as if it is unimportant whether we have money to pay our bills and adequate clothing and a roof over our heads. His point is simply that everything we have above and beyond God is a luxury. If we have God, we have everything that we need. We have life without lack. We can say, I shall not want and this is David's amazing testimony that he is a sheep who possesses great trust in his shepherd. And he has inward contentment with his lot and his portion and his heritage in life. The Lord is his shepherd and he shall not want. The psalmist declares in Psalm 37 and verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. It's the same testimony. I've been living life with God for a while now, the psalmist says. And I've looked back on my life. I'm older now. And my testimony is my life doesn't lack. The Lord has been my shepherd. He's taken care of me. He has met all of my needs. And when you can say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
and truly believe it, there's really nothing more that needs to be said. David Roper in his book on Psalm 23 says, There are really only two options in life. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. But if I am in want, then it is obvious that the Lord is not my shepherd. It's that simple. Did you hear that? It's that simple. If there's emptiness, if there's loneliness, if there's dissatisfaction, if there's frustration in our lives, then the Lord is not our shepherd. If we look to anyone or anything other than God as our shepherd, we will never be satisfied. Oh, friends, you know verse 1. Even unbelievers know verse 1. The question isn't, do you know it? The question isn't, can you recite it? The question is, can you believe it? Do you believe it? The Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd that your soul needs. He is good. He is great. He is gentle. He is faithful. He is kind. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only shepherd who can forgive your sins. He is the only shepherd who can reconcile you to God. He is the only shepherd who can lead you into his family. He is the only shepherd who can fully provide for your needs and give you lasting satisfaction. He is the only shepherd who can give you a life without lack. And so I ask you this morning, is he yours? Is he your shepherd? Do you believe him? Well, David not only teaches us about the character of the shepherd, he also teaches us about the care of the shepherd in verses 2 and 3. Now notice a transition takes place from verse 1 to verse 2. And David transitions from verse 1 in talking about who God is for him to verses 2 and 3 and what God does for him. And in these verses, David gives a picture of sheep under the care of their shepherd. And I want you to notice at the outset the language of these verses. The emphasis is on the activity of the shepherd. It's not on the activity of the sheep. The emphasis is on what the shepherd does for the sheep. Where the sheep is able to say, because of the care of the shepherd, I shall not want. My life is without lack. So I'm going to show you three things in the text that the shepherd does for the sheep. Number one, in verse two, he gives rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures is a picture of abundance and a picture of luxury. It is a picture of satisfaction and rest. It is a picture of calm and contentment. It is a picture of slowness and meditation and maturity and a good shepherd picks a place of pasture land that is filled to overflowing with fresh new tender grass that will provide nourishment and health and energy for his flock and as the sheep lie down in green pastures they experience the rest that they so desperately need. And I love the language that is used in verse 2. The phrase lie down, it's the idea of what many of you are going to do, and me in particular, in just a little while. We're going to go home, we're going to go to our favorite couch or our favorite chair, and we're going to stretch out. 
and some of us, like me, are going to go unconscious. And we're going to have slobber drooling all over the place. We're stretched out. We're relaxed. We're completely reclining. We're at peace. We're at ease. We're at rest. And that's the picture and David described it this way in Psalm 4 and verse 8. And this, friends, this is, a ver- this is why I love the Psalms. The Psalms give us a language with which to communicate with God. And listen to Psalm 4 and verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down. Listen, oh, you're going to love this, especially if you're middle-aged. In peace, I will both lie down and, listen, sleep. Isn't that a good word? Sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And that is the picture of lying in green pastures. And Charles Spurgeon reminds us that the spiritual food we need is abundantly available to us in God's green pastures. And this is what he says about this phrase. What are these green pastures but the scriptures of truth? They're always fresh, they're always rich, and they're never exhausted. There is no fear of biting the bare ground where the grass is long enough for the flock to lie down in it. Sweet and full are the doctrines of the gospel. Fit food for souls as tender grass is natural nutriment for sheep. When by faith we are enabled to find rest in the promises, we are like the sheep that lie down in the midst of the pasture. We find rest and refreshment, serenity and satisfaction. And Do you know how we... In our day, lie down and partake of these green pastures, friends. It's by spending time alone with the shepherd. It's stopping everything. It is lying down in his green pastures and enjoying a time of resting and lingering with the Lord and feeding on his word. And when we withdraw from the clamor of the sinful world and enter into the peace and the quiet that is available to us in God's green pastures, you and I experience the same rejuvenation, the same revival spirit, the same deep satisfaction that sheep enjoy when they rest in the presence of their faithful shepherd. Now look at the text, because you think you know it, but you might have missed this one. Look at what the text says. It doesn't say, he helps me lie down. It doesn't say that he suggests lying down would be a good idea if I could find the time. He makes me lie down. Do you ever ask questions of your Bible? Why would God make me lie down? Because some of you are such stubborn sheep. And you're so stressed out, you will continue to make unwise decisions. You will continue to carry your battle scars. You will continue to wander away from the shepherd. And the shepherd knows that you're never going to choose to lie down on your own because you're so stubborn. He will make you lie down and get rest. I love what Chuck Swindoll said about this. He said, in our hectic, harassed age in which headache and tranquilizer medications have become the best-selling national products, we must occasionally be made to lie down by our shepherd Savior. 
When he steps into our helter-skelter world, he must often force us to rest. And if that occurs, you should stop and give thanks because his pastures are green. Here's the reality for most of us this morning in our lives, friends. We are so busy going here and there. We are so busy doing so much and at the end of all of the frantic pace, accomplishing very little that will last for eternity. We have been deceived in thinking that bigger is better. We have been deceived in thinking that faster is better. We have been deceived in thinking that more is better. And our lives are so entwined digitally that we begin and end our days on our phones, checking social media, email, responding to text messages. We keep our phones right beside us because, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we just might need that phone. And we're so busy and consumed with all of this that the urgent, the urgent, squeezes out the important. And in the green pastures, here's what God does. He filters out all of the useless noise that you and I might hear, the one voice above all others that is the most important for our lives. That's why J.I. Packer said, disregard the study of the Word of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. And that's the reality for many of us. We stumble through life because we're so busy, we don't hear the one voice that matters above all the others. And when we lie down in God's green pastures, do you know what happens? God gives us a fresh perspective on life. God gives us the right perspective on life. God reminds us that he is completely in control of life. We see life from his perspective and we see that he has provided everything we could need and everything we could hope to find in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us rest. And so can I be so nosy this morning? To just ask you if you actively seek rest from the Lord? When's the last time you've quieted yourself before your shepherd and sat in his green pastures? When is the last time you've entered his presence and experienced his peace? You'll notice in the text that green pastures is a place. Do you have a place where you encounter God on a regular basis in his word? I think my family would tell you that if they woke up in the morning and they didn't see me in a certain chair at the dining room table, they would become very concerned because it's the place. It's the place where I sit and feed in the green pastures. It's the place where I experience God's peace. It's the place where I pray for my wife. It's the place where I pray for my kids. It's the place where I pray for you. Do you have a place like that? 
you really think that, that the way you're living on your own is going to get you the peace you so desperately long for? Oh, friends, that's a fool's errand. What do you need to do in your life to give God the first moments of your day? Instead of rushing into the car and popping a sermon on and, and trying to listen to it. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I encourage you to do that. But it's not the same as sitting still and quiet before the Lord with his word open in front of you. Letting him talk to you through his word and then you talk to him in prayer. It's not the same. It's not the same. Could you even imagine this morning through the truth of this text what your life would look like if you gave God the first moments of your day? How your attitude might change, how your perspective on life might change, how your marriage might change, how your parenting might change, how you might be able to get along with people better because God has done something to you in the green pastures of his presence. But see, the way it is now, you think the problem is with everybody else around you. And I'm telling you, if you get still before God, he'll show you the problem is you. But maybe that's why you don't want to get in his presence like that. Maybe. Young dads with young kids at home. Man, do you box out for your wife so that she can sit in the green pastures and get a break? So that she has time to read God's word and pray for herself? She needs that. And you've got to be the shepherd that provides that for her. I, I would challenge everyone this morning. Give God the first 15 minutes of your day. That's the place to begin. Give him the first 15. And if you do that consistently, you'll find 15 won't be enough. You need more. You'll never. You will never exhaust the green pastures. It's impossible. Never. He'll give you rest. Number two. Look at the end of verse two. He'll give you refreshment. He leads me beside still waters. There's a progression of thought in this verse as the psalmist moves from green pastures to still waters. For the still waters and the green pastures go together to form a picture. And David is addressing people like you and me who are spiritually tired and spiritually drained. He's addressing people who feel that God seems far away and spiritual dryness is set in. He's speaking to those who have dehydrated souls. Because those dehydrated souls send an undeniable message. A message of anger, a message of worry, a message of guilt, a message of fear, a message of stress, a message of hopelessness and sleeplessness and irritability and insecurity. And to these parched, dry, weary, dehydrated souls, our shepherd says, I am the source of your thirst. I am the supply of water. I am your refreshment. But do you know why we often fail to have refreshment? Because look at the text. You may have missed this. He leads you to the water, but you have to follow. And many of us 
try to lead ourselves instead of following the shepherd. It's the shepherd who knows the location of the best places to drink. And it is to these places that he leads his flock. And did you know that no matter how thirsty sheep are, they are afraid of and they refuse to drink from fast-moving water? And so the shepherd will dam up a place in the water and, listen, this will help you understand the meaning of the text, and he'll still the water. He will quiet the water. He will slow the water down so that the flock can drink without fear. And you'll notice in the text that the word water is plural. David is reminding us that our shepherd will lead us repeatedly over and over again to places where water is peaceful and refreshing. He doesn't provide for it one time. He provides for it every single time. Every time you're thirsty, every time you're dehydrated, the Lord, if you will follow him, will lead you to these places of water. And the significance of this picture cannot be understated. For when the sheep are thirsty, they become restless. And they set out in search of water. And instead of waiting for the shepherd to provide clean water, the sheep will often drink from polluted potholes where they pick up diseases and parasites and they harm themselves. And friends, there's a reason why the Bible refers to us as sheep. Because we're just like that. Our souls become restless, and instead of waiting for our shepherd to lead us to healthy water supplies, we search for our own supply of water, and we're willing to drink from any dirty pool that comes along to satisfy our thirst. And the reality is, and you know this to be true, there is no end to the substitutes for God in our world. And by nature, we often drink deeply from the wells of the world, only to turn away unsatisfied, still thirsty, still unfulfilled. And we're not alone in these pursuits. The people of Jeremiah's day were in the same situation, and the prophet was given a message from God, and this is what he said in Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is a picture of broken lives, of shattered hopes, of barren souls that are filling up on the broken pieces of pottery that this world offers. And in the end, all that's left is emptiness. Instead of following the shepherd's lead to still, quiet, wholesome, healthy waters. Joel Beakey said, we are all like sheep. Satan whispers to us that small drinks from sin-polluted waters will not hurt us, but are sweet. We drink forbidden water just as Adam ate forbidden fruit. When we feel no cramps or pain, we conclude that the water did not contaminate us. We hear Satan say casual church attendance, hypocrisy, the neglect of the means of grace, a lack of weighing eternal realities, a little lie or an unbiblical compromise that these things and thousands more will never hurt you. You'll never die. Just drink. Just drink. Drink from the broken pots. But Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls, knows better than that, friends. He knows that our thirsty souls can only be fully satisfied in him. And that's why the great shepherd of the sheep gives an offer to come to him. Listen, 
to come to him thirsty. And this is what he says in John 7, 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I wonder today if your soul is dehydrated because you're trying to lead the shepherd instead of follow the shepherd. I wonder what broken cisterns you're trying to drink from this morning to satisfy your thirst. I wonder what wells you're teaching your kids to draw from. I wonder who is leading you in your quest for satisfaction. Is it the world, the flesh, and the devil leading you to broken pieces of pottery that will leave you empty in the end? Or is the Lord your shepherd? Is he giving you rivers of living water that will satisfy your thirst? Well, he gives rest. He gives refreshment. Finally, at the beginning of verse 3, he restores my soul. Now, Philip Keller in his book, The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, was so helpful to me in this phrase. He speaks from his experience as a shepherd in Africa about cast sheep. And he says that cast sheep are sheep who wander off away from the flock to the outer skirts of the flock. They wander away from close proximity to the shepherd. And they want to lie down and rest. And so they, they find a nice place. And it might be hollow in the ground. And they lie down on their side like this. And then they get really comfortable. But something dangerous happens. Their equilibrium shifts. And they end up on their back. With all four legs in the air. And if the shepherd doesn't come to them quickly, they'll die. Because gases will begin to build up in their stomachs. And it will cut off all blood circulation to their extremities. And a shepherd knows when a sheep has been cast. Because he keeps an eye on the flock and he counts them. And he knows that Jim is missing. And then he looks in the sky and he sees the birds circling and that's the sign of danger. He knows his sheep is cast and he runs. He runs to the cast sheep. And do you know what he does? He gets down and he rolls the sheep over on its side and he slides the sheep close to him. And he takes the sheep's head and he nestles it right there on his knee. And he begins to rub the extremities and get the blood circulating and moving. He caresses the sheep's head. And the whole time he's talking to the sheep. You're such a stubborn sheep. I've told you and told you to quit running away from the flock. I've told you and told you to quit going to those polluted streams. Don't you understand how much your shepherd loves you? Why would you search for something else? It'll never satisfy you. See, he's talking and he's nursing the sheep back to health and life. And then, once the blood's moving again, he lifts the sheep up onto its legs and puts it right by his side. And those first couple steps, the sheep will fall. And he'll pick it back up. And then it'll begin to get its strength back and it'll be leaning on the shepherd's leg. And he'll keep walking it, moving it back to the flock. And he'll keep an eye on that cast sheep. 
And the shepherd knows when the cast sheep has been restored because he'll start eating in the green pastures again and mingling among the flock. He restores my soul. The word restore, it's literally where we get our word for repentance, to bring back, to turn around, to come back again. My soul is the part of you that's going to live forever. And notice what he says. He does it. God is the one as your Lord and shepherd who brings you back to repentance. Oh, if you could bring yourself back to repentance, you would. But you can't. He's got to restore you. you got to be confronted with his word and with the power of his spirit. Where he says to you, you are so stubborn. Why do you keep running away from me? Why do you keep trying to do things that will never satisfy you? I'm bringing you back to me and you're going to stay by my side. And do you know what he does with the most stubborn sheep that keep getting cast? He'll take his rod and he'll break their leg. So they'll have to stay by him. And listen to me, friends. This is how you know you're a Christian. If you disobey God and become cast and wander off from the flock and go your own way and He disciplines you and brings you back, you know you belong to Him. But if you stay cast, living in your sin, never convicted of your disobedience and your rebellion and you're running away from the shepherd, why would you think you belong to Him? He will always restore his sheep. And do you know there's a New Testament picture of this? This isn't just in the Old Testament. It's the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus says that the good shepherd, he will leave the 99 in the flock and he will go after Jim, the one. And he'll call him by name and he'll bring him back. He'll restore his soul, and he can restore your soul. He can bring you back into fellowship with your creator. Spurgeon said, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. Our shepherd promises to lift us out of the stumbling times of despair, out of the times of discouragement, out of the times of depletion, out of the times of defeat, and out of the times of deadness of life. And this phrase can literally be translated, he found me when I was cast down and he gave me life again. That's what he does. Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior shepherd who restores souls. And he loves to restore souls. And look at verse 3. This is the last thing I'm going to show you. Why does he give you rest? Why does he give you refreshment? Why does he give you restoration? Do you see it? For his namesake. It takes you all the way back to verse 1. In the character of your Lord and your shepherd. His name is at stake in the care that he provides to his sheep. And he gives you rest. He gives you refreshment. 
He gives you restoration because that is the kind of God He is. And when He gives you rest, when He gives you refreshment, and He gives you restoration, He gets glory. His name is exalted. He is glorified. And His love and leadership and care for you is all bound up in the glory of His name. Because when you find rest, you will glorify Him. When you find refreshment, you will glorify Him. When you are restored in your soul, you will glorify Him. At the end of the day, friends, it's really not about you. It is about the greatness and the goodness and the excellency of our God who is our Lord and Shepherd. And He does it all for the glory of His name. You just happen to be a beneficiary of His sovereign care. And it should cause you to worship Him. And so I ask you this morning, what is the condition of your soul? Can you say today that it is well with your soul? Or would you have to confess that you need to be restored? Is your cry, Lord, be merciful to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you? Or do you think this morning that you can live as if there were no need for salvation? That there were no deadly disease, no angry judge, no offended justice, no condemning conscience, no punishing law, and no all-consuming holiness before which one day you will stand? Are you so deathly sick that you are blind to your desperate need for the shepherd to restore you? And heal you. Because of his complete obedience, Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient shepherd who can rescue you from sin. He can renew your strength and redirect your life. Why wouldn't you today turn to him and cry out to him to restore you? No matter what you're facing, no matter how deeply you're facing it, if the Lord is your shepherd, He can meet all of your needs. He can give you a life without lack in which you are completely satisfied and sustained no matter what happens. He can give you rest. He can give you refreshment. He can give you restoration. The question I have for you is do you believe it? You know it. But do you believe it? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this beloved psalm. And I pray that through your spirit you would give us deeper understanding. And help us to apply it practically in our lives so that it would cause us to give you glory and to love you more. And we think today of those who are weary, those who are thirsty, those who are are hungry, those who are hurting. And we pray that you would take the balm of your word and apply it to their wounds and their pains, that they might leave encouraged and helped and strengthened today we pray for those who are at a distance from you disobedient 
that you would apply your word today and bring them to restoration and repentance. And we pray today, God, for those who don't know you, that in this text they would see your glory and they would see the glory of your Son and that their eyes would be open and they would believe. Or draw them to yourself, we pray today. And God, we pray that you would sanctify and help your church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.